Welcome to the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast, a podcast designed for NACAP members, prospective students, and their families. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Higher Education, Higher Purpose podcast. I'm Phil Cook with uh, NACAP, and I'm joined today with our co-host, Heidi Sturm, the Director of Marketing and Communications with NACAP. And Heidi and I are pleased today to have a very timely topic um, that is sure to be of interest to prospective students and families all around the country. And we're so glad that Ed Recker is with us today. Ed is Director of High School Relationship Management with Sally May, serving high schools, states, and professional organizations throughout the United States. Ed joined Sally May in 2019, and he has over 20 years of experience in the financial aid and enrollment industry. Prior to joining Sally May, Ed was a senior consultant with uh, the enrollment division of Ruffalo Noah Levitz, one of the leading enrollment um, firms in the country. Uh, he also held the position of vice president for enrollment management at the University of Finley, and he held various financial aid positions at the University of Finley as well, including Terra State Community College and Bowling Green State University. Ed has a Master of uh, Higher Education from the University of Toledo. He lives in Ottawa, Ohio, and with his wife, Kate, and daughter, Evelyn. Ed, thanks for joining us today. Phil, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate this. I, I, I feel like I should just do this. Autom- it's, it's automatic. If I say OH, you automatically say? I-O, of course. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's automatic. It's, it's great. It's like Pavlov's dogs there. So, Ed, thank you so much for this very timely uh, topic that's going on. And there are a lot of things for us to consider. And we want our families to, to, to learn more about this. But there are some changes going on with the FAFSA, even if folks may not even know what the FAFSA is. Perhaps you can talk about what the FAFSA entails and then how the date is changing. Yeah, the, not October, moving to December. Talk about what the changes and the dates that are coming to, our, to FAFSA this year. Absolutely. So, Phil, first off, like you said, uh, the FAFSA. So, financial aid folks tend to have a language of their own. So, FAFSA is an acronym, and that stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. This is the application the U.S. Department of Education uses to help determine an index number that ultimately helps determine uh, what types of aid and how much aid students will receive when they apply for financial aid. So that's first and foremost, you know, let's get those acronyms out of the way, make sure that folks understand what we're actually talking about when we level set things. The second piece, as you had said, Phil, we're, we're seeing a pivot in the date this year as to when that FAFSA opens. So historically, it, it has opened on October 1st. That's changing a little bit this year. They are changing it to December. And as of right now, the actual date is undetermined. The reason for that is the FAFSA is undergoing a lot of changes. So we're, you know, I don't think I'm understating it when I say these are generational changes. Now, we're not going to go into every detail on that. But the important thing is, is that in order to make sure that we get it right, that it works, and it's a great experience for students and families... The Department of Ed, U.S. Department of Education, has decided to delay that opening for one year only until December, just to make sure they have everything up and running and ready to go so that it's a really good and smooth experience for students and parents. You, know, you and I both worked in the, in the enrollment fields at, in, at institutions prior, and having been around a long time, the, the reason that the government's doing this is a good one, right? Why are they making these changes? And it does come to the folks that are listening today, prospective students and families. Why, why did the government decide to make this change? Yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago, 
there were two acts that were passed. So the first one and the biggest one is the FAFSA Simplification Act. And gang, that's exactly what it sounds like. There was a big push to really simplify the FAFSA, make it easier for students and families so that it's not so complicated, so that it's not, it's not so burdensome. So that's the big, the big part of it. The second piece is called the Future Act. And what that allows uh, really the U.S. Department of Education to do is to integrate the FAFSA with the IRS and your tax information so that instead of having to you know, manually key in all of that tax information on your FAFSA, which can take a long time and it can be really confusing, now users just have to provide consent. So as simple as a checkbox, allowing the U.S. Department of Education to draw your tax information in automatically and behind the scenes. So it's simplifying things. It's making it exponentially easier for students and families and really eliminating a lot of that guesswork that was potentially there in years past. So, so Ed, you talked about simplifying. Can you tell how many questions there used to be on the FAFSA and then what people can expect to see now? Yeah, so Heidi, that's it's a little bit of a loaded question because the FAFSA has what's called skip logic and and it's going to be slightly different for every student. So so in the past, if we were to ballpark it and estimate, we would estimate probably anywhere from a hundred to hundred and twenty questions that a student or family would see during their FAFSA. So again, not insignificant, but with the FAFSA Simplification Act, with the Future Act, they're estimating that a student will now see anywhere from probably 36 to 40-ish questions. So quite a big difference in terms of how many questions they're going to see, how many they're going to have to actually answer. And again, really making it easier, speeding it up for the student and the family, and really taking a lot of those, a lot of that complication out of it. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to make it a lot easier for families. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention, when you said what FAFSA is, you said free application. Is there a warning out there? Are there places that charge people to file for those things? So by and large, those are supposed to be eliminated. So that is that is technically, that is not allowed. Uh, the Department of Education has tried to really crack down on that. But we do really emphasize that that first F is free. So if a student or family comes across the site and they're, you know, they're offering to help for a fee or things of that nature, we would strongly discourage that. They, okay. There may be quote unquote help out there, but the reality of it is, is any help that a pay service could provide, you can usually get for free through various organizations, through various uh, colleges and universities. So we strongly, strongly encourage steering away from anyone who is who is uh, offering to assist for a fee. A lot of that assistance can be had for free. Uh, Heidi and I are different stages of life, Ed. So she's got uh, FAFSA to look forward to in the future years. I went through this with three children. So just a, a follow-up comment about how the idea that it would be easier for families is a good thing. I think that's the spirit of what we're trying to do here. And secondly, I've heard you talk about and present information and, and others that the spirit behind this also is to maybe to help families that have higher need actually gain more um, more more assistance from the government. I'm, I'm a full Pell Grant kid. I got a full Pell Grant to go to college when I was going. So there are folks out there that have high need. Talk a little bit about the rationale again for what the government did in terms of setting it up to hopefully help more families without getting into all the weeds. But there is that's the general spirit. Am I right about that? 
It is, Phil. So, so along with making it easier, they have really revamped the entire uh, methodology uh, behind how they're determining that index number. So that index number used to be called the expected family contribution. Now it's called the student aid index. So they're, again, not to get too deep into the weeds, they've updated that methodology. And what it's really meant to do, part of it is, is it's going to expand access to what you, what you had said, the federal Pell Grant, which is I like to call it the flagship federal grant program. So this is when we start talking about free money from the federal government, that's that's the big grant program. That's the one that folks are oftentimes referencing. And it is going to expand that eligibility for a large number of students. Now, at this point, it's hard to really quantify it because we're really dealing with estimates and based on last year's numbers, we don't know who's going to file this year, so forth and so on. But mm-hmm. the early estimates do suggest that more students will receive a higher dollar amount from the U.S. Department of Education, from the federal government to help them attend college or university. So what are the next steps? Say my student needs to file the FAFSA or we need to file the FAFSA. Can we just do that right away or um, like once it opens or is there some way that we have to sign it electronically? What what steps do we have to take? No, that's a great call out, Heidi, uh, because there is one step and a really important step that has to be done before a student and a family starts the FAFSA. So each, both the student and either one parent or potentially both parents have to apply for what's called an FSA ID. And gang, keep this in mind as well. The, the U.S. Department of Education has a centralized hub. It's called studentaid.gov. This is where you're going to want to go for pretty much all things federal aid related. So the FSA ID really acts in lieu of your signature. It's essentially an electronic signature for federal financial aid documents. So you have to sign your FAFSA. So you're going to need an FSA ID. It's important to do that ahead of time. And we had previously mentioned, you know, the the FAFSA doesn't open until sometime in December this year. That doesn't mean that you can't get your FSA ID right now. In fact, we encourage that largely because what the FSA ID, ID does in part is it verifies your identity. That means it's going to have to bump your information up against the Social Security Administration, which can take some time. So we always recommend anywhere from three to five business days. Uh, You can do it, again, at any point in time, but at bare minimum, three to five business days before you start the FAFSA. Both you as the student and at least one of your parents, potentially both parents, will need to do that as well. Excellent. You're listening to the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast. Total transparency, you presented this information in a very detailed way to our member institution, our college and universities. Uh, our schools are going through transition. You called it a once in a generation change. What advice do you have for families as they're dealing with institutions, where their son or daughter want to attend? What, give, a, give a little bit of context for what these schools are going through and how it's changing their processes, and then continued advice for the families as they go through this uh, a historic uh, groundbreaking process. No, I, I think that's great, Phil. And, you know, when I worked, I always joke when I was on the other side of the desk, when I worked uh, 
at the University of Finley, Terra State, Bowling Green, and I was behind that financial aid desk. Uh, we always we always joke that when folks think about financial aid, they think about the FAFSA, and rightfully so. But the but the analogy I always used was think of it as an iceberg. Berg. Only about 10% or the tip of that iceberg is above the water. The rest of it, 90% is below the water. So if you think about that from this perspective, the FAFSA itself, the application is changing. Absolutely. That's only about 10% though. The other 90%, that, that burden is being bore by the U.S. Department of Education, by the colleges and universities, and the administrators that are trying to make sure that everything goes smoothly. So I, I set that up from the perspective of folks, as you continue to work with your colleges and universities, I would, I would strongly ask that you just uh, extend them a little extra grace and patience as they work through this as well. This is all new. Uh, it is, there's so much new on the back end that these folks are trying to make sure that everything's working great, that they can process your aid, that they can package your aid so that you have a great experience. But we all know when things are new, sometimes they're they're a little bit clunky. You know, things don't necessarily work perfectly the first time around. So, Phil, that would be my biggest advice. Just a little bit of grace, a little bit of patience, and allow the schools to work through all of the kinks that they may have to work through. Um, they're there to serve you. They're going to want to serve you to a high level. But again, just be patient. Extend a little grace. And real yeah. quickly, you said something that I didn't even frame the question to right. And to our government, generally speaking, we don't have dispositions to think about, give some grace to our government. That's our tax dollars at work. But your point is, 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 is good there as well, because this is a new process for them. So extending grace around um, for, for everyone is a, is, is a good idea. So uh, yesterday, also, when we were listening to your presentation, you had, along with the FSA ID, you talked about the multi-factor authentication. If you want to touch base on that a little bit, explain what that would be. Yeah, absolutely, Heidi. So multi-factor authentication, or the U.S. Department of Education is also referring to it as two-step verification. So this is where when you log into a website, and oftentimes folks are already doing this when they're logging into, say, like a banking website or an investing platform, things of that nature, they have to log in with their username and, and password. But they also will oftentimes have to get a code, usually a six-digit code that's either texted to them or sent to them via email or there are authentication apps out there. The U.S. Department of Education is now requiring that to log into the FAFSA. So that's that's something that you're going to have to set up when you set up your FSA ID. Now, at the time yesterday... I, I was curious because someone asked me, hey, Ed, what if I already have an FSA ID, but it was from years ago and and I didn't have that multi-factor auth- authentication at that time? What happens? Well, you know, curiosity got the better of me. I logged into, <laughs> had, to, had to go back and dig up my old FSA ID and the U.S. Department of Education does confirm all of your information, but then it does require you to set up that multi-factor authentication at that point. So even if you have you've you've had kids in college previously, you set this up previously, you're, but you didn't have multi-factor authentication at that time. The moment you log in, it's going to ask you to confirm your information as well as set it up. So so even though there there is no quote unquote grandfathering, everyone's got to go through okay. this. Uh, whether you're a new user or a returning user. 
That's good to know. I think a lot of people will be in that same boat. And a real quick follow-up to that is you said this earlier, but I want to I want to uh, highlight this point again is that the users must consent. So this is a, this is something that the, our, our listeners, our students, and their families. This is their information. They must uh, provide consent to the government to the institutions to get this aid. That's correct. That's correct. So so a big part of this really is being able to provide that information. And because we're dealing with multiple federal entities, the student, the parent has to consent for that for that information to be acquired from the IRS to be transferred to the U.S. Department of Education. Now, a big step in that, one that we didn't really talk about, is if you don't provide consent, there are very few pathways for a student or a parent to be able to just key that information in. They really want it coming directly from the IRS because at that point, they know it's authenticated, they know it's accurate. And really, the, the goal is and the hope is it's going to really cut down on some of those inaccuracies. It's going to cut down on workload for the folks who administer the aid, so the colleges and universities, which ultimately, again, should lead to a much easier and smoother experience for you, the student, you, the parent. And a good point about that, Ed, would be submitting the FAFSA information is I don't want to say in every case, but I can say in most cases, it's the key to unlock other aid from institutions as well. So when I do the FAFSA, when families do the FAFSA, what advice do you have and what kind of guidance do you have for families as it relates to getting institutional aid or state aid at other places? It it really is the key to unlock opportunities that may or may not be need-based at all, correct? Absolutely. No, Phil, and that's a great point. So much aid is out there and so often even depending on what your need situation is uh, determined by the FAFSA, colleges and universities will have their own their own funds, their own institutional grants, institutional scholarships that could be either fully or partially driven by the FAFSA. So again, everything has different criteria. So even if you didn't qualify for, say, a federal Pell Grant, there's a really good chance that you could still qualify for some type of grant or scholarship from a college or university, even if you didn't qualify for any of those federal monies. And then to take it a step further, there are oftentimes third party or what we would call outside scholarships. So private donors that it doesn't necessarily matter where you go to college at, but one of the requirements may be that you that you filed the FAFSA. It, again, they're not looking to see what your need is or what those numbers really are, but they want to make sure that you're taking that initiative, taking that extra step to make sure to uncover as much free money as you can. They're going to require that. So it really does, to your point, Phil, it unlocks so many doors that may be locked and inaccessible if you don't complete that FAFSA. Heidi, I'm on a roll. I'm so sorry. I just want to remind everybody that we are with Ed Recker today, who's the director of high school relationship management with Sally May. Um, and Sally May, this is interesting. A good point. I'm going to ask you to do. We'll do it at the end as well, Ed. But uh, Sally May, when I, when I got student loans uh, from 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 my co- Sally May is who I wrote the check to for many many years. But Sally May's expanded, and this is this is part of what you're doing to provide free services to help families. That's what you do every day, right? That's correct, Phil. So, so you're right. You know, we we still do have uh, student loans, private student loans available for students who may need those. But the reality of it is, is that we're really more of an education services company. We provide uh, things like, again, free resources, going out, 
doing outreach, doing presentations, uh, free materials on the FAFSA. We actually uh, just acquired a scholarship platform called Scholly. It's the number one scholarship app uh, in, in the U.S., possibly the world. I mean, these are, these are mm-hmm. things that we really want to help students and families to be able to better understand the process, get as much free money as they can, and really make that dream of whatever that next step after high school is, post-secondary uh, trades, things of that nature. Unlock as much free money as you can and then proceed from there. And we've got some good inertia going. I will say, I, w- I would love for you to put your, this also is a Sally May hat, put your University of Finley, your Bowling Green hat on, just to give encouragement to families about financing higher education. Um, we argue with our organization that it's not out of reach for folks. Yet you hear a lot of narrative that it's too expensive and it, the value of it is another conversation for another time. Of course, we believe in the value of it. We've committed our lives to it. And so have you. So what advice do you have just in general for finding scholarships and making it more affordable as families go through this process? Yeah. So, so a couple of things there, Phil, and, and boy, you're, I mean, you're giving me goosebumps here because this, this <laughs> truly is my passion. Um, you know, I think looking for scholarships, it's like so much of everything else in life. Uh, you get out of it what you put into it. Re- realistically, you know, I know a lot of times folks will say, well, I'm not the straight A student. I'm not the star athlete. I'm not going to get any scholarship money. And and that couldn't be further from the truth. There are literally thousands of scholarships each year that go unawarded because someone just didn't take the initiative to apply. So I always encourage folks, start early, start often, have the conversations, turn over every rock leverage your high school counselor, uh, leverage those scholarship resources. Look look everywhere. Uh, you know, if you're employed, your employer, a parent's employer, all sorts of, there are all sorts of resources out there. And I'd also encourage folks not to minimize what, you know, some might consider the small scholarships. So, you know, maybe $300 here, $500 there. Is it really worth it? I can tell you, and Phil, I'll put on my University of Finley hat. You know, you could really <laughs> tell the students that that almost treated that scholarship search as a part-time job because we would get literally, you know, 10, 12, 15 checks from outside scholarship organizations. You know, some of them a couple hundred bucks. But once you started adding it up, all of a sudden you've got five, six, eight, ten thousand dollars in scholarships sitting there that that's money that they don't have to pay out of pocket. That's money that they don't have to finance through a loan. So I just encourage folks you know, look under every rock, start early, start often, you know, work with the resources you have. There are a lot of folks around that are willing to help you not only find those scholarships, but you're really hone and refine those applications and those essays to make it the best you can to be able to obtain as much free money as you can. I love that because I remember when I would sit on the other side of the desk in my admissions job telling students the same thing. It, $300, that's, that's some of your textbooks that you're not going to have to find the money for. So it's so important. And full transparency, I have an eighth grader. And next year, I'm like, you're going to start signing up for the scholarship searches. So. <laughs> right away. Yep. It's great so, advice. So, yeah. so as we start wrapping things up, um, can you just summarize the new FAFSA and anything else regarding the FAFSA that we need to just make sure 
our listeners are aware of? Sure. So, so I think some of the things that that are probably new that folks will want to be aware of. So. The FAFSA is now what they're calling, they have user-defined roles. So in the past, realistically, you could sit down and and the student would log in and you'd sit down with mom and dad at the dinner table and you could walk through every question. Now with user-based roles, the student will only see questions applicable to their role as the student. Similarly, parents to the parents. So as it is still possible and usually preferable, to still sit down at that kitchen table and be able to walk through it. It's going to take a little bit of extra just planning to make sure that everybody everybody has has what they need to have on their FSA ID. The student is able to invite the parent. It, it actually is done via an invite, an email invite. So the student will identify the parent, invite the parent, parent will then log in, and then they'll they'll do their section and then sign and complete the FAFSA. So just keeping that in mind, uh, that's, a, that's a change. Again, not, not wanting to get uh, too far into the weeds, but we do have some changes in naming conventions. So, so I had mentioned the old index number was called the EFC. Now it's called the Student Aid Index to really identify uh, what it's really meant to be, which is an index number to help colleges and universities identify what types and how much aid a student is eligible for. Some other uh, changes, so they used to get a, a student aid report, which was essentially the transcript of the FAFSA. Now it's called the FAFSA submission summary. Uh, some other things, I'm going to try to keep the list short here. Certain assets are now required uh, to be reported. So if you're a small business owner or if you're if you own a family farm, you know, you're going to have to report some of those assets on the FAFSA. And also, and I know this one is very unpopular. It was it was definitely unpopular yesterday. Uh, it no longer matters how many students are in college at the same time. So so that has changed. It's it's essentially that. I used the example of numerator and denominator. Denominator. Mm-hmm. Well, now the denominator is essentially always one. So again, not not the best news, but I feel like I'm I'm here to provide information. So, most of it's been really good. That's probably the one that folks don't like. So. Well, I will, I'm just trying to imagine if one of our families out there, if there's a student or a mom or dad who emailed the financial aid office where they're applying and, and they use the acronym SAI, or they talk about the FAFSA summary, man, that's financial aid admissions. Folks will go crazy because it's going to show that <laughs> these folks know what they're talking about. So it's new language to many of our families, but to many in the industry, it is a significant change. Ed, it's obvious your, your knowledge and your expertise in this area um, is robust and it makes you an exemplar in the area. We would we would want to be sure that our, our listeners know about the the resources and options that Sally May and you provide. So take a moment and talk to our guests about how the resources that are free that you can that our families can uh, use in this process. Absolutely. So thank you so much for that, Phil. You know, I would really just ask folks if you're interested in learning more, go to our website. So SallyMay.com, and it's S-A-L-L-I-E-M-A-E.com, and then slash FAFSA. That will get you to our FAFSA information page. That'll get you, and and we have it updated already. So so you'll see information out there with all the new uh, naming conventions. We're working on new tools and resources uh, to make sure that folks are 
are informed and really, you know, prepared as they go down this pathway. Uh, we also have webinars that we're, we'll be offering throughout the fall on all types of topics, anything from scholarships to the FAFSA to are you a first-gen student? How do you, you know, what are some ways to navigate this process? So we have links to that page as well. I just encourage you, again, sallymay.com slash FAFSA. Go there if you have any questions, need additional information. We have a lot of great free resources for you out there for you know, for your use. And, and as you mentioned, high school, your high school counselors, your college universities, all of those things are important as to, important relationships to continue to cultivate. And, and again, remembering that the FAFSA is December this year. It'll go back to October next year. Uh, but stay, stay in tune with uh, your, your resources uh, as you go through this process. Ed Recker, thank you so much for a wonderful introduction and appetizer to this uh, fascinating, changing world of the FAFSA. We appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Yes, thank you, Ed, for being here. Yes. Thank you both. Really appreciate it, folks. I, I truly, truly appreciate us helping us get the word out about all of these changes. So thank you. And thanks to our listeners for listening to the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Be sure to join us next time for the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast.